let's get into uh, let's get into Mark. So if you join in with for the first time, if you're here over the holidays and uh, it's your first time at Murray Hills, we've been in a study of the Gospel of Mark. It's called Simply Jesus, and uh, it's the longest study I've done in a while. And we did Romans last year, and it was a pretty long study. But this is I think we're in our 14th week of this study. And so we've got only three weeks left. We're going to cover the rest of chapter 14 today, uh, chapter 15 next Sunday, and chapter 16 the following Sunday. And I do that on purpose. Uh, You rarely hear me teach verse by verse. You usually hear me teach kind of big idea by big idea because I like to see how all the things are connected. Uh, And my idea when I do that is, you know, hey, we're going to, I'm not going to cover everything in chapter 14. I'm just going to cover parts of chapter 14 you know I'll just kind of pick out the most important stuff you need to know out of chapter 14 and I'll cover that I had a really hard time with that this week because everything in chapter 14 I felt like was important like everything I run across and the way to me this chapter represents the best writing of Mark like the way he weaves together this story and the way that he connects everything and the phrases he uses I'm just like this is I just I got to include as much of it as I possibly can. And so this message, I'm going to try my best to let the story kind of stand on its own. And I, I want you to see all of it. Because what he does is he tells the story of two men in this uh, narrative right here. One of them is a man who claims to be the Messiah. And he cements that today in chapter 14. And then the other is the story of a man who wants to follow the Messiah and says he'll follow the Messiah no matter what the cost. And um, he fails miserably in doing so. So you got the story of Peter woven all throughout this narrative. And, and you're going to see Jesus' prediction of Peter's denial, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal of Judas, the arrest of Jesus, the first trial of Jesus, which is the Jewish trial, and um, then Peter's uh, denial of Jesus. And so this is all in chapter 14. So if you got a Bible, you can follow along. We're going to start in verse 27. I'll have everything on the screen as well. So if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. So uh, verse 26, actually, let's start back there just a little bit. So last week, uh, Jesus, and this was not last week, this was just a few hours ago from the timeline of the gospel, but uh, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room and instituted communion, and it says in verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is outside the city gate of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem would have had a wall around the city to protect it, but uh, the Mount of Olives is about a half mile outside of the wall. It's on a mountain or a hill, if you will, that uh, overlooks the city of Jerusalem and sits directly opposite the Temple Mount. So it would have been more secluded. There would have been less crowds, less people around. He could have had more privacy with his disciples. And uh, there was a garden there known as Gethsemane. And that's kind of where all of this takes place on the Mount of Olives. So this is a private setting, Jesus with his disciples. It won't remain private for long. But this is where he says, you will all fall away. Uh, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And so this, this is not the first time Peter has corrected Jesus. So like, you, you're familiar with the other story where Jesus kind of predicted his death for the first time, and Peter said, no, that's not the way it's going to happen. That's, that's, not, that's not how the Messiah works. And Jesus kind of pulled him aside and uh, rebuked him. There's another story that I've never even connected Peter to, but I was reading in the commentary this week, and I was like, yeah, he was a part of that, on the way to Jerusalem. So when Jesus predicted he was going to Jerusalem to die, Peter said, no, you're not. That's not the way it's going to happen. 
And he rebuked him. Then on the way to Jerusalem, he argued with the other disciples about which one of them was the greatest. I mean, Peter was in that argument, right? So, uh, and Jesus kind of pulled all the disciples aside and rebuked them and said, that's not the way my kingdom works. And so now Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. He had just predicted Judas' betrayal. And they all said, you're not talking about me. You're not talking about me. You're not talking about me. And now uh, Judas is no longer with them because Judas left before they went to the Mount of Olives. And, and Peter is correcting Jesus like, I will not fall away. I don't care if everybody else falls away. I will not. And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now, for those of you familiar with this story, you know what, you know what happens here. And you know that Peter won't be able to live up to his words. And um, commentators have been pretty brutal to Peter throughout history. Um, preachers have been pretty brutal to Peter throughout history for this kind of brass assertion that I will follow you no matter what. And I even read one this week that said, you know, Peter wasn't really a quote-unquote true disciple yet. Uh, you know, he didn't really, quote-unquote, know Jesus yet because, I mean, we know what happens after the fact. And it just, I don't know. I wanted to, I'm like, have you ever made a promise that you couldn't keep? I mean, you ever, you ever been confident in your faith, like so confident and cocky and bold in your faith? Like, I can do anything. I will, I will not let this defeat me. I will do anything. And before the difficulty comes, before the crisis comes, before the conflict, the controversy comes, and then when the moment comes, you fold. I mean, I think all of us, you know, know what this feels like. Like, we know what this, like, the best analogy I've got is when uh, you had, when you were younger, when you just got married and you were younger, and you didn't have kids yet, but your friends had kids, and you went to dinner with them. You remember the conversation on the way home? Like, like oh, I'll guarantee you one thing, my kids won't act like that. When I have kids, my kids will do this, and my son will do this, and my daughter will do this. I'll tell you one thing. And then you have kids, and right, what happens? You're humbled, right? You, you are humbled when you have the kids because you were so confident and sure, like, I know exactly what I'm going to do, and when this happens, this is the way I'm going to respond. And this, that's kind of how I see Peter right here. You know, he doesn't know that there's a crowd coming to arrest him. He doesn't know that his life is going to be in danger. He doesn't know that, that um, Jesus is going to be arrested that very night. I mean, he, but he's so confident. He's so, he's so sure. Like, before the fight, he is emphatic. That he is going, like before the fight, he's so emphatic about it. But then when the fight comes, he folds. And I'll tell you what it reminded me of. It reminded me of uh, a TikTok video. So there was a viral prank that went around. Uh, and I don't know when this came around. But what they did was they got parents to go tell their kids that they were going to fight somebody. I don't know if you guys saw this. But like they would go tell their young children. They would say, hey, I got to go fight somebody, and they got kids your age, and I need you to go with me because you need to fight their kids. And they were just doing it to see how their kids reacted. And, of course, you know, the kids were like, what? Why? Why? Oh, I don't want to fight them, you know, that kind of thing. Watch this one. This was the best one. It took me a while to dig it up because I don't have a TikTok account, you know, so I had to, like, dig up this on YouTube. It took me a while to find it. And listen closely uh, and see if you can pick out which one of these daughters is Peter. Girls. I need, girls. I need you to get your shoes on. Why? Because I gotta go fight someone and they have two daughters and I need you to fight their daughters. Why? Are you ready to fight? Yeah! 
You don't want to fight? How big are these? They're your size. Can you fight them? And whose size? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's no doubt who Peter is, right? That's Peter before the fight. Now, I don't know what would happen if she actually saw the girls and the fight happen. My guess is she would react in the moment more like her older sister. And, and that's what, you know, like when I see this story of Peter, I feel for the guy because I'm like, that, that's me. That's us. You know, I, I, I can see myself in him. And I think that's why the story is included. And Because you remember, Peter inspired this with Mark. So Peter is inspiring a lot of what Mark says. And I think that's one of the reasons that this needs to be in here is because we see ourselves in Peter. We see ourselves so confident and sure, and we'll never do this, and we'll never do that, and so emphatic about things. But in the moment of truth, when the, when the moment of truth comes, we can't always live up to those promises. And, I, and some of what I see in Peter here is he's still dependent on his own strength and willpower. And your own strength and willpower will fail you every time. I mean, it, it, we, we, if I just am confident, I'm just bold enough, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything I got, you know, it'll fail you every time. He hasn't quite learned to trust in the Spirit yet. And, and that's kind of what Jesus is helping him do. He really won't learn it, though, until after the resurrection. And after the resurrection, you see a very different Peter. Still bold, but there's a boldness that it, and a humility that it kind of fuels with it that's that comes from uh, this, the Spirit. So uh, Peter says, you know, if you go back to this right here, I think Mark's making the point. We always focus on Peter's part of the story. I will never disown you, but look at the sentence right after it. All the others said the same. So every disciple of Jesus said, we're with you. We will not leave you. We will not leave you. All right. So verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And this was still in the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Pray and watch so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. What is that? Oh, okay. I got it. I was, I was, I was hope. I was, the only reason I asked was I was like, if that's a fire alarm and we're supposed to be evacuating, I, you know, I, I don't want to just keep preaching and you feel like, well, he's preaching. We can't really leave in the middle of his sermon, but we don't want to. We did that at TPAC. Uh, we went to a play at TPAC, and the fire alarm went off, and everybody knew it was going off. And they, they, the play kept going, so everybody kept their seats. And the fire alarm went off for five minutes, and everybody, you know, just sat in their seat. Like 300 people sat in their seats because the play kept going. And then they finally, finally one person, one person got up and was like, I think maybe we ought to leave. And, you know, they started going through the aisle. That's all it took, everybody. That one person, they all took off. So anyway, that, that story cost you nothing. And I'm sure it'll preach in some way. But anyway, where are we? Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so no one will fall in temptation. 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. So, I mean, he just rebuked them for following us. Like, you know, they just had this bold, like, I'll never disown you. I'll never leave you. I'm with you to the end. And then they can't even stay awake through the prayers. But do you know that a lot of people are really bothered by this story, the Garden of Gethsemane? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of people that try their best to explain it away, especially Mark's version, because Mark's version is more real. Um, I shouldn't say more real. It's, Mark is more truthful about the, the heaviness of the emotions that Jesus is feeling in that moment than, than the other Gospels. Like Mark says, Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. And then, you know, he even quotes him in saying, my soul is overwhelmed with the sorrow to the point of death. The reason this troubles some people is some people point at this and say, well, this kind of proves that Jesus was not the Messiah because, you know, I mean, he, he knows he's going to be resurrected, so why would he be scared to go to the cross? You know, maybe this, this points out that Jesus is not fully God. I, I think that, that miss, there's even some people that think like, well, Jesus is losing his nerve here in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what bothers us about it. It bothers us to see someone that we only see in terms of strength displaying weakness. You know, you know what I mean? Like somebody, like when you, when you see your dad cry, it's like, he, he'll never do that. What's going on? You know, and that's kind of what I think is, is going on here. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because what it's communicating to us is that Jesus, we got to remember, he was both fully God and fully human. As a human, he experienced all the emotions that we experience. The Bible says we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he felt our weaknesses. And like, are you saying Jesus was worried here? Jesus was anxious? Jesus was scared? Jesus was a... I mean, read it. He experienced those emotions. And what he did was he, he named the emotions. He took them to God. He asked God to deliver him. And when God didn't, he said, your will be done, not mine. And I think that's exactly what we should do with our emotion. When we feel those things, when we feel afraid, it's not sinful to feel afraid. I think we get that confused sometimes. It's not sinful to feel anxious. It's not sinful to, to you know, to, to feel something, to, to feel over, to, you know, if I was to say, I feel deeply distressed and troubled, some people feel like, well, that's, that's sinful because you're not trusting in God enough. I, I mean, Jesus was trusting in God enough. It's just he did what we should do when we experience emotion. We take those to God, and we ask God for deliverance, but we trust in God no matter what happens. And so I think, to me, this is an example of moral strength. And it's, Mark is comparing and contrasting kind of this moral strength of Jesus with the inability of the disciples to display any strength. They keep falling asleep, and they even do it three times. So this is verse 37. It says he returned... What? No. 40, yeah, at the end here, this is like 40. It says, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. And with him, a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Do you remember back in the, the Passover, it said, or right before the Passover, it said Judas would, had betrayed Jesus. He was just looking for an opportunity. This is the opportunity because he's outside the city walls. It's in a secluded place. This is the opportunity. So Judas knew that they had gone out here. And the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. 
arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. I don't think he was aiming for his ear. Uh, Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Now the other gospels tell us that the guy swinging for the, the guy's head and missed him and got the ear um, was Peter. I don't know why Mark doesn't tell us it's Peter. Mark leaves, leaves him anonymous. But it, we do know from the other scriptures that it's Peter that does this. And Jesus kind of says, you know, I've, I've been in the temples. I've been there. I've been in Jerusalem many days now. I'm not leading an armed rebellion, an armed resistance. But then look at that next verse there. This is verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So Mark's trying to show us how desperate this situation was. But I want you to think back. Like what was it? Verse 37. When Peter said, I'll never disown you, every one of them said the same thing. We will never disown you. And now Mark wants us to know that they all disowned him. They, they all fled. We, we tend to kind of put this in context. We put the story like, oh, well, this is about Peter's failures and not all the others. They all fled. And that's Mark's trying to make that point of how desperate the situation was. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the teachers of the law came together. And then look at this. Peter followed him at a distance. So Peter fled. But Peter apparently comes back and right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the guards And he warmed himself at the fire. So what Mark's going to show us is that there's a a trial getting ready to take place with Jesus inside the chief priest's home. And there's a trial that's going to take place with Peter outside around the fire. Okay, look at this. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then, some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days, build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men have been bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am said Jesus. Now this, I wish I'd have seen this two months ago because in our small group we were having a conversation. You know, I said all along the gospel of Mark is to introduce us to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Like that's how the gospel starts. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And every event that takes place is to introduce that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But in our small group, you know, several months ago, somebody was like, did Jesus ever claim to be the Son of God? Like, I mean, did he ever say it himself? Like, I get that the scriptures say it. I understand that. Like, I get that Paul and Peter wrote about, you know, Jesus was the Son of God. I get that. And, like, I, you know, I know that people would ask him. But, I mean, did Jesus ever say he was the Messiah directly? And in the moment, it was like, I don't, yeah, I think so. 
Uh, but I, I'm not sure where it is. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I love about small groups. You can ask questions like that in small groups, and it's okay to go, I don't know. I'm going to have to research that a little bit. And then I stumbled across this this week, and I'm like, there it is right there. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? The Son of the Blessed One is just a way to not say God's name. Jewish did not want to say God's name at a reverence, so Blessed One's a reference to God. So he asked him, are you the Son of God? And what does Jesus say? I am. You remember what? God told Moses his name was when Moses asked about his name and God said, my name is, I am. I mean, Jesus confirms it right here that, that, that I am the Son of God. This is actually the first time that the Son of God has been hum, uh, uttered by a human mouth in the Gospel of Mark. Is when the chief priest asked him that question. Because God said it when he was baptized. God said, this is my son whom I love. And uh, all the demons acknowledged him as the Son of God, but Jesus told them not to tell anybody. And there's all of these hints that take place throughout the gospel, like when he calms the storm, when he forgives sin, when he heals the sick, when, when he heals the lame, when he teaches with authority. You know, all these hints and clues are throughout there. He asked the disciples, who do you say I am? And they say, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, so I mean, they don't say the Son of God, actually, in that. They say, you're the Messiah. But he asked all this, but in this moment, they ask him, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And I think this is one of the most significant things that happens in the whole gospel because if he is the Son of God, then I have to follow him. If he is the Son of God, then I want to yield my life to him. If he is the Son of God, then I'm willing to do anything for him, even die for him. Peter had become convinced he was the Son of God. That's why Peter was so emphatic. He was so emphatic because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew he was the Son of God, and he was willing to do anything, even die for him. Let's skip ahead. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow's one of them. And again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Now it's, it's very easy, as I said earlier, to criticize Peter with the hindsight of history. And um, I don't fault him here. I feel for him here. Because I think his story identifies where all of us are at certain points full of bluster and confident faith at one point full of uh, weary and sleep the next moment and confused and ashamed the next moment and I think you kind of see this evolution of Peter throughout the gospels of this kind of this confident you know charge hell with a water pistol type faith of his of his young faith and then his his faith matures he has to deal with these moments of failure and he has to deal with these moments of shame and he has to deal with these moments where maybe there was, he'd fallen asleep. You know, I mean, he has to deal with these things and anybody who's followed Jesus for any length of time has to deal with that. 
anybody who, you know, kind of maintains this, you know, confident, I'm, I've got the, I'm going to conquer the whole world, I've got Jesus, and if you don't feel like that, then you're not really following Jesus, and you're not really a true disciple, I'd reject every bit of that. Anybody who's followed Jesus for any length of time knows how to deal with failure, knows how to deal with not following Jesus as good as we wanted to follow Jesus, even though we're like Peter, and like, I'm going to go to the end of the earth, and I'll die for you, and I'll do whatever, and we know that in the moment, we failed to do that, and that's just, that's part of faith, and that's part of following Jesus. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see, um, and I'm going to ruin my chapter 16 uh, sermon with this, but I, you just got to include it, because this whole story, we see Peter, and this whole thing, and, and it keeps, Mark keeps pointing him out, like when James and John fell asleep too, but they, he called out Peter for falling asleep. Peter said, uh, you know, he was not going to disown Jesus. All of them said they were not going to disown Jesus, and they fled. But he points out Peter, and he says Peter fell out of the distance. So all through this, he's kind of highlighting this story of Peter. And what I want you to see in chapter 16, you know what happens. Next week, we'll talk about the crucifixion and the burial and then the resurrection. And in Mark's version of the resurrection, there are angels waiting when the women come to the tomb. I want you to look at chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed. He said, this is the angel speaking to the women at the tomb. So three days have happened since Peter denied Jesus, broke down and wept. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples. Now look at those next two words. And Peter. <laughs> go and tell his disciples. And Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you'll see him just as he told you. And what I see in this moment, what Ebony was talking about earlier, this is God telling Peter, I see you. I, go tell, it's like he, Mark wants to point out, make sure Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter knows. Make sure he knows that I'm coming back. Make sure he knows that I've resurrected. Make sure he knows that I'm going to, to meet him in Galilee. Make sure Peter knows. And I think it's a way of Jesus saying that he loved him through every bit of it. He loved the brashy, arrogant Peter declaiming that he was never going to fight. He was never going to deny Jesus, knowing that he was going to deny Jesus. Jesus loved him through that. He loved the, the Peter that couldn't keep his eyes awake in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he, he loved the Peter that denied him. I mean, he, the Peter that was confused and ashamed. He loved that Peter. He he. That's, that's what he's saying to us, that he loves every single one of us in that way. And make sure Peter knows. Because guess what God is going to do with that man? He's going to restore him. So Jesus, when he's going to restore him, he's going to forgive him. And he's going to say, you know what? That might be a good guy to build the church around. <laughs> like that, that, he might be the rock that I could build my church on a guy with faith like that. Not a perfect faith, not by any means, but a, but a faith that's, that's real and that's doing his best to follow Jesus and making these mistakes along the way. And Jesus restores him and loves him and says, Peter, you're going to be the one that preaches the first gospel sermon. Peter, you're going to be the one that, that first leads people to me. You're going to be the one that starts to establish the church. And it's incredible to see the way God works through, through Peter. So yeah, we'll... We'll pick that up. i got to quit. So, and I've skipped some parts, believe it or not. Um, but we'll pick that up next week when we move into to chapter 15. Um, what Jesus got arrested for was, and what convicted him was blasphemy to the Jews. When he said he was the son of God, that's blasphemy to the Jews. 
it's treason to the Romans. And we'll pick up the, where it's treason to the Roman next week. Let me pray. And we got just to mention our offering, we'll be done. Um, Father, I want to thank you for this story. And I'm thankful that you include the beautiful parts of Scripture and the ugly parts of Scripture. I'm thinking, like, if we were writing the narrative, we'd be tempted to write out parts like Peter or parts like Judas. And, you know, when we write church histories, we kind of write out some of the ugly parts. But that's just part of, it's part of us. It's part of being human. It's part of who we are. It's why we need you in our lives. And so I'm thankful for the truth and, and the, the, the way that Mark writes this to us and just tells us the whole story as it is. And I pray that we could learn from that that you are uh, with us and that you love us no matter what. You love us. And we're thankful for that. And help us to learn to, to yield our lives to you and to yield our lives to, to your spirit. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.